Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Anyone, anyone can go on a date and dazzle for five minutes. And then if you don't get any more of that person, then it just, they just feel dazzling. But how much fun are they to spend time with when the two of you are just doing laundry? What's it like when the two of you are just hanging out reading together? You know, the, that's the real test. Welcome to Women of Impact, Matthew Hussey. Hello. Welcome back. How, what time is this now? Is Four, it? I think. Four. Fourth time. And today, what I want to dive into is the intoxication in a relationship we can have over being admired and admiring someone, the lust of a relationship, and the intoxication of love in a relationship, and how often we as couples or we as people can sometimes um, mistake lust for love. Well, certainly a lot of bad decisions are made on lust alone, the desiring of a person and what we think we will get if we could just obtain that person that we desire. And that doesn't mean that the person you're desiring doesn't want you. Right. It just means that you, there's still that feeling when someone's mysterious, when we're really, really attracted to them, there's that feeling of trying to get them, whatever get means. I need to secure this thing, this person, this relationship. And in trying to secure it, we can neglect to ever stop and ask ourselves the question, is this thing that I'm trying to get, is this person I'm trying to get capable of really actually making me happy? Mm. I love that. So let's take a scenario where you first meet someone, because I think there's different levels in a relationship that we can take through. So why, let's start at just meeting someone. You often hear, oh, my God, it was love at first sight. Mm. So, A, do you actually believe in love at first sight? Or do you think it's actually lust at first sight and we're mistaken it? And then I want to talk about how that can actually lead to potential um, misinterpretation of where the relationship is going. Love at first sight is typically a story told by the victors. Go on. We've all, we've all had moments where you felt something very powerful very quickly. But when we look back at situations where someone turned out to be very selfish, where they broke our heart, where their intentions weren't good, or where they just, it feels like they just used us and then moved on. We don't then romantically tell the story of it was love at first sight. Mm -hmm. We say that was a really toxic situation or I got really caught up with someone and it bit me. We don't talk about love at first sight. Love at first sight is very easy to talk about retroactively with someone that you're still with 20 years later. <laughs> you can look back and go, it was love at first sight. Right. It doesn't mean there weren't feelings at first sight. It's just that you then build and build and build and build and build. And it's quite romantic in retrospect to say that what we had in the beginning was very powerful. 
in the beginning, you can have a powerful attraction, which we might call chemistry. You could also say there's a powerful connection, which is we immediately got the sense that we understood each other, that our outlooks on the world were either very similar or very compatible, that we felt like our belief systems merged, our values synergized. We, you and me together, there is something there, both physical and perhaps cerebral, and maybe even soulful. The problem with overvaluing those things, it's not that those things aren't to be valued. Of course, it's fantastic when you have physical chemistry. You don't always have it. Right. A lot of people rarely have it. Of course, it's wonderful when you have a real deep soul connection with someone. You don't get that with everyone. But none of that refers to intention or investment. Mm. Attention is not the same as intention. You could give me lots of attention, but have no real intention behind it. There might be no intention for this thing to go anywhere. How many entrepreneurs or, or wannabe entrepreneurs get really excited about a new business idea? But there's no intention to stick with it. There's just the, I'm doing this right now because it's just really exciting right now. But as soon as it gets difficult, I'm not going to keep going. Or when it actually means waking up every day and grinding and doing the same things over and over and over again, I'm no longer going to be interested. And I'll move on to the next business idea that I'm excited about. So attention is not intention. Can I just follow up a question there mm -hmm. before we move on? So, but the thing with attention then is how in those moments do you decipher that it, it is attention and not love? Like this, right? Like you can say, but he loves me because he keeps phoning me and he keeps showing me and f like lavishing me with all this love and flowers. But actually it's, it's the attraction that, mm. is that is attracting them. I suppose we have to define what love means to us. When I think of love, I think of something that is generous and giving. And, and it's not about just accessing a feeling. There's the feeling of love, mm. of being in love, which isn't the same thing as, as being loving. But if you're on the receiving end... It's tough in the beginning because you can mistake the two. Exactly. And, and what someone does to impress you so that they, by reflection, can feel impressive, mm -hmm. You know, it's really, sometimes people take us on a wonderful date because they want to feel good about themselves. If I take you on an amazing date and, you know, there's fireworks and you come away from that going, oh, you're amazing, then I get to feel amazing. We all want to feel amazing. Mm -hmm. And if the way I have learned how to feel amazing is by impressing other people, then the impressing has nothing to do with being loving. It has everything to do with me feeling impressive. Mm -hmm. I'm wanting you to reflect back at me how wonderful I am. And that is especially true of very charismatic and charming people. They tend to be the people that the first time we meet them, we go away going, God, they were so nice. Mm. Oh, they were such a, they were, 
I really like that person because they made you feel great. You feel like the sun is on you and it feels wonderful. But as quickly as it's shining on you, it can move on. And how do you tell the difference? You look for consistency. It's very easy to value intensity when we have it, especially because it plays to some kind of love story or an idea of a love story we've had in our head for a very long time about what it's going to be like to fall in love. It's going to be grand and it's going to be exciting and it is going to be fireworks and it's going to be all of these giddy feelings. And so it's very easy to, it's not that those things aren't evil. Right. It's just that it's very easy to, to overvalue them. There are plenty of highs in life that they're not necessarily inherently bad because they're a high. It's just that you have to kind of see it for what it is. This is a high, but it doesn't mean you're going to feel like this when you wake up tomorrow. And tomorrow, whatever is the baseline of life, it's like someone going out and, and doing a drug that makes them feel unbelievable. It's not necessarily an evil to go out and do something that alters your state and makes you feel great. But what you have to remember is how you wake up the day later, what, what life you experience the next day, that's your actual life. This was a high and you're not going to be able to live there all the time. The next day, that's your actual life or the life you had before you did it, is your actual life. And the same is true in, in dating. It's where does the baseline return to? When you're not on that ecstatic date with someone, when you're not in the throes of the most romantic moment, what is it like with that person on a Tuesday? What's their level of communication like on a normal day? How do they make you feel? Do they make you feel secure in the fact that they like you and that they're still going to be there the day the next day or do they take you on that great day and then you don't hear from them for a week because if they took you on that amazing day and then there was no real follow-up there was no real consistency their presence in your life disintegrates between those highs then you know that this isn't this isn't love because love, in that moment when they took you on that great date, they were trying to feel something. But in the rest of the time, they're, not paying, they're clearly not paying attention to how you're feeling. And that's what love is. Love is, it works in two directions, right? Love, the, the idea of love as a generous act works both ways. It's not all selfless. Love as a generous act can be very selfish, right? It's what am I giving to myself? Am I taking care of myself? Am I taking care of my own needs? A lot of people in a relationship where they're unhappy because their needs aren't getting met need to start giving more love to themselves. All their love has been going right. outwards. What does this person need? How do I make them happy? How do I please them? How do I? And the reason none of their needs are being met is because they're not actually turning that love inward mm. and saying, oh yeah, there's two people in this relationship. I'm I'm one of I'm 50% of the people in this relationship and 50% of the people in that I'm pleasing in this relationship are going undernourished. I'm not I'm literally only paying attention to half the audience in this relationship. I need to love the other half by asking for what I want by by demanding it, by expecting that my needs are saying my needs are important enough to get met. 
So, so, so love is internal too, but it's also in the case of someone who gives you so much and then disappears, they're not really loving you because they're not listening. Mm. And it is one of the reasons, by the way, someone might say, but how, they may not know that you're suffering between dates. They may not know that you need more attention or that they need, you need more communication. Right. That's where it's incumbent on us in early dating to say, hey, I, we had so much fun on the date with you. I didn't hear from you from the last four days. It made me kind of sad. You well, have to be real. That, I actually totally hear you, but it's very difficult to put yourself out there like that because as you know, you've spoken very eloquently so many times before of that just because you act one way and you perceive something one way doesn't mean that they perceive it the same way. And so for me to be honest and open and say to someone after four, you know, because I want to be real, like everything you've just said, I want to be have a, you know, build a transparent relationship. So I'm just going to start from the beginning. I'm going to say this because that's the gift that I want. Now, what if the other person though, in their shoes perceives it as, wow, that's actually really forward. And while I actually really liked you and I was so with you on it, my perception is I've, I'm busy, I've got all this life. And so if, if you're now demanding that I have to text you within four days and you're saying you miss me, right? So something that can be so genuine and so beautiful and so pure and you're both connected, mm. in those acts, how would you suggest um, People go about it. Like, do you think, well, that's, you need to be pure and you need to be who you are. And if someone doesn't meet you there, then maybe they're not right. Or is there like some malleability at the beginning of a relationship where you can hold back, see where they are, or is that deception? It's a great point. Playfulness in the beginning is your friend. When you don't know someone very well, when you're just kind of testing the waters with each other, trying to figure out how much you like each other. I'm not suggesting that after date one, you send someone a message saying, I didn't hear from you for three days. It made me kind of sad. Um, I do think, however, if someone goes on a first date with you and five days later, they say, what are you up to this weekend? I do think you can be playful about it and be like, uh, I'm, you know, doing this with my friends. I'm not sure about Sunday. By the way, P.S., this message was three days late. <laughs> you know, like, where was this message three days ago? Yeah, yeah. Um, you could be playful about it. But I'm also, I am also saying, like, hey, idiot, we had a good time. Like, where was the message right. asking me out again? This has been five days. Playfulness is your friend at that stage. And because we're alluding to something serious, which is that in order for me to invest time in someone, I need to know that they like me, which is a serious point. You don't have to be serious in your communication of that point. Mm. And that's one of the things that when we lose our confidence, we stop being playful. Like I went to my, my friend's house who I'd known for years, but I, you know, anytime I went to his house with his family, he's got a wife and, and three kids. Anytime I went to his house, I would still sort of play the guest where I'd wait for someone to ask me if I wanted a drink or whatever. And he once, you know, I once walked in and everyone was grabbing their plates for dinner. And he said, the name's John. He said, Matthew's not grabbing his own plate right now because he still thinks he's a guest in this house who mm. has to be waited on. And, 
And I laughed and I was like, ah, okay, I'm no longer a guest. Let me grab a plate. Like he didn't, he didn't say to me, Matthew, I think you and I need to have a talk. <laughs> You're still coming to this house and being too uptight. You know, he didn't say that. He yeah. just, he made a little, he, he poked fun of me a little bit uh, mm. in a playful way, but that takes a kind of looseness. You have to be loose to do that. Mm. When, you're, when you're afraid, I don't know if I want to say this because it might turn them off. I don't know if I want to say this because mm. it might be too intense. When we do that, that's actually when we get intense. <laughs> we start overthinking everything. And then when we overthink, we go, I'm just not going to say anything because I don't want to ruin it because yeah, we're right. having a nice time and I, I just don't want to screw it up. But what's happening now is you're no longer communicating the things that indicate the kind of relationship you're actually looking for. Most people who are being intentional about wanting to meet someone, they value consistency. Are you actually showing me that you like me? Are you actually making me feel safe in this situation? Or am I constantly second guessing whether you like me? Now, a lot of people feel that way. Of course, when we're not in a healthy place ourselves, we might value inconsistency. <laughs> we might value someone who makes us constantly second guess ourselves because we think that that's, that's attractive in some way, that, that mm. this person must be valuable if they're messing me around. So there's a whole thing to talk about there. But, but people who are being intentional and people who want to find love generally feel safe when there's consistency from the other person. But of all the people that think that, only a small percentage actually communicate that in a healthy way. That's so, I almost don't want to go past the whole that some people value inconsistency. Like that's actually really strong. Do you mind going a little deeper on that? That was so powerful. Two things can happen. One, we don't get honest with ourselves about what we need to be happy. So we, we don't chase the right things. Mm. We, instead of saying, oh, this person's actually being consistent with me. This person's actually not leaving me in doubt as to whether they like me or not. This person's actually making a plan to see me. Instead of following that, knowing that actually ultimately this is what where peace lies, is in a person who's doing these things, mm. we chase the person who is always making us second guess ourselves. One of the reasons that we do that is because well, there's a couple of things. So one, there's the economics of value. What is scarce, what is difficult to obtain, what I have to fight for must be more valuable. And that's a really dangerous thing to apply to your love life. Because someone can be hard to get, unavailable, constantly dipping on and off your radar, not because they're so valuable, but because they're so unavailable or because they have issues of their own or because they're selfish or because they're only out for themselves or that has, that doesn't equate to value. And by the way, here's what's really fascinating about that. That same person might be available a year from now and start doing the right things, but because they're no longer fitting the, let's say the bad boy stereotype, 
the woman he's now available to is like, hmm, he doesn't seem as important or as valuable as this guy who's making my life really difficult. Mm. And do you think that is that in the moments that they're not making the life difficult, they're like, oh, my God, they're making me feel so special. So that feeling that you get if, let's say, you're together with someone for three months and they're only paying you attention 5% of the time, that 5% can feel so freaking powerful because it's only 5%. And how easy, by the way. Anyone, anyone can go on a date and dazzle for five minutes. And then if you don't get any more of that person then it just, they just feel dazzling. But how much fun are they to spend time with when the two of you are just doing laundry? What's it like when the two of you are just hanging out reading together? You know, the, that's the real test. And when someone's only giving you 5% of their energy, it's really easy for them to remain mysterious and exciting. This is, this is why, by the way, when affairs happen, the person on the outside of the relationship, it, there's sort of such an unfair advantage that the person on the outside of the relationship has because they only have to be dazzling for the 5% that they're showing up for. The husband or the wife, the person who's there every day, that person, that show is going on 24 hours a day. So it, it's a much harder show to be dazzling in because it's going on 24 hours a day. People who feel that Hamilton is dazzling might not feel that way if Hamilton was playing around the clock in their house 24 hours a day and it was the only show happening at a certain point. It would no longer have the dazzling effect of a three hour show that you go and see on a special occasion. That's what a partner is. A long term partner is someone who who has to, we have to be able to live with, not be dazzled by, to live with, to exist alongside. What's that experience? Someone that comes in from the outside and is like very alluring and very mysterious. How easy, how easy to be alluring and mysterious when someone knows you for five minutes. It's much easier for me to be impressive and exciting and dazzling on Elisa Bilyeu interview podcast <laughs> conversation than it is for me to be that to my brother or to my best friends or to my partner because that's real life that's me on an average day so we way overvalue the dazzling and when someone is giving us pieces of themselves our mind can go, A, what I'm getting is really, really exciting. And I equate that to what the whole relationship is going to be like. This is not true. And because they're unavailable, their value must be higher. Because that's just the economics of our mind works like that. Mm. If it's rare, it must be more valuable. If you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad, 
it can feel, I hate to say it, but it actually can feel personal, like you and you alone are the one to blame. And it actually may even trigger you to lock down your business, not open yourself up and not actually risk trying anyone else. Like you actually would your heart after a bad breakup and avoid looking for that new partner altogether. Well, let's face it, sometimes we can do that with highs as well. And trust me, guys, I've been there. I get the thought of bringing in a new stranger into your business actually fills your heart with more anxiety than it does love and joy. But when you post your jobs on LinkedIn, you can actually feel the confidence that you will find the right person for the right job fast because LinkedIn isn't actually just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion billion with a B professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Because guys, it gives you access to professionals that you actually can't find anywhere else. And so LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive, which then makes hiring with confidence easy when you have that many quality candidates. And it's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. So post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash Lisa. That's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. As an entrepreneur, one of the biggest challenges you will face is the negative voice in your head. You know who I'm talking about. That may be not so small part of you that loudly doubts your abilities to actually pull the things off and make a living from your passion project. But you've got to overcome that negative voice in your head, homie, because I'm telling you, you can do it especially if you use Shopify. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with all the built-in Magic AI award-winning customer service and the internet's best converting checkout, you have everything you need to shut down the voice of doubt and make all your amazing business dreams a reality. That's exactly why, guys, I love Shopify. So if you want to start growing your business with more customers and sales, shut that negative voice down and prove her wrong that you can do it, Shopify is here for you. So go and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash Lisa all lowercase. Again, guys, you can go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business no matter where you are and what stage it's in. That's shopify.com slash Lisa. Now that can happen objectively, even though we should remind ourselves that over the course of someone's life, they're going to be very unavailable to some people and then they're going to be really available to someone. Mm -hmm. And the person they're really available to will have a different experience of them than the people that they're unavailable to. They're not the bad boy to the person they open up to. No one is the bad boy to the person they choose. You can't be. You can't remain the bad boy whilst going, I want to marry you. I'm done. You're my person. They're no longer the bad boy. So the funny thing is, if you're chasing bad boys, you're always chasing someone in a phase. You're chasing someone who's in that period of their life, but they won't be that to someone else down the line. But meanwhile, you'll just keep trading guy in that phase for another guy in that phase for another guy in that phase, all the while thinking that's their their value must be really high because they're really unavailable. When you're just getting attracted to someone who's in a phase that happens actually to be really bad for you. Now, the other part of that is we overvalue those things when we undervalue ourselves. If you want me, something's going on with you that I don't trust because I'm not great. 
you don't want me? You're treating me like I'm disposable? You're onto something. <laughs> That's so powerful. So making sure that you do the internal work yourself is very important. Um, but there is the intoxication when you're in a relationship and you have this really strong desire and attraction that you hold on to the good moments mm -hmm. and you're, you give reasons why the bad moments exist right now. So it's like, well, they're going through a hard time. There was this one time that they really, like I was in a relationship before Tom for almost four years and it was a very toxic relationship. And I remember having all of these like ups and downs where it's like, he told me how much he loved me. And then the next day he was emotionally abusive. But every time he was emotionally abusive, I would hold on to the time that he was really nice to me. And I had convinced myself that the bad times weren't indicative of who he was. And the good times were. But he was just going through a hard time, obviously, for three years, which I can now look back on and see is, you know, me pulling the wool over my eyes. Um, but there is that convincing that we do to ourselves because we want to feel accepted even though with what you're saying was like, he's rejected me, so then I must be onto something. Like there's like this duality of that emotion. You have to be able to separate how you feel about someone from how someone makes you feel. Those are very different things. I may feel about a person that they are charismatic and, and adorable and intelligent and wise and fun. but they make me feel, or if they make me feel lonely and, and sad and, and anxious and stressed and questioning my value, that's the reality of my relationship. Mm. So you can think someone is a god, but if they make you feel like you're nothing, that's gonna be your experience. And you mean that on a, in a totality because there are those, um, I, you think you call it microdosing, those moments where it's like in this moment they make you feel amazing. Well, you know, you have to suspect even that because if someone makes you feel stressed and anxious and unhappy and lonely and questioning your value and whether they like you a significant amount of the time, but then there's moments where for a night, for a weekend, for a week, that person makes you feel amazing. They shine their light back on you mm -hmm. in the most amazing way. Mm -hmm. Even then, if we're honest with ourselves, it doesn't make us forget. It actually makes us remember. It, we live with the, this coexisting, Here's, here's the happiness they're making us feel right now, which is more akin to pleasure than happiness. They make me feel joy, excitement, alive right now, in love. Not happiness necessarily, not peace, because my peace is robbed by the fact that there is also a big part of me that is anxiously waiting for the other shoe to drop. <laughs> I, know if, I know what it's like when it's bad, and I know it's bad a significant amount of the time. And I, it's hard for me to truly let go and enjoy this elation, this feeling, because I'm scared of the moment where they revert to type. 
And by the way, people aren't all good or all bad. So the, the move we have to be careful of doing to ourselves is when we're compassionate, understanding, nurturing people, we can see the bad in someone and we can see the ways that they're hurting us and we can we can not, not even justify or make excuses for it. We can see where it comes from. We might know someone well enough to see where that comes from and to be compassionate towards that. And that's beautiful. It's also dangerous because even if we know this person is complicated, they're not always like this. And the truth is, even people in abusive relationships, it's very easy for someone on the outside to say, here's what you should do, and you have to do this, you have to do that, and no excuses, and there is no middle ground. And, and, and that might be the healthiest approach to take for someone's emotional or physical safety. Mm -hmm. The hard part for the person who's in it is that their relationship with this person is far more complex than that. That they are seeing a complexity to this person that they're on the inside of that allows them to say to themselves, this person isn't all bad, which is almost always true. But we can't base our lives on, and, and our happiness or our safety or our future on the having such capacious hearts that we can make space for the complexity of another person when the reality for us is bad. Because the reality for you of somebody is bad, it doesn't make them evil. Ooh. It just makes the reality for you bad. Everyone, a lot of people have had the experience of either a friend, a parent, a relation, a partner, not necessarily being an evil person, but making them so unhappy and being able to trust them so little with our happiness and our hearts that even though I know deep down you may not be bad, I can't have you in my life. You're not good for me. You know, a lot of the hatred in relationships, that a lot of the bitterness that we leave with, a lot of the hatred we hold on to, which ultimately ends up making our own lives miserable more than it does anything to anyone else, comes from the fact that I've convinced myself you're evil and you had such bad intentions and you did this and you did that. And, and so much of the time, the way to let go of that is just the understanding that Chances are this isn't an evil person. Chances are this is just a situation where for my own good, I had to leave because despite the fact that that person was complex, despite the fact that that person was a marbled good and evil, perhaps or good and bad, perhaps with more patches of bad in, in my experience of them, 
that person cannot be relied upon to serve my peace or my happiness. And so the only prudent thing to do is to leave, even if I can leave and still say to my friends who are saying they're the devil, I can still go, no, they're not the devil. They're not, they're a complex person. But I care enough about me to protect myself from the inevitable consequences of having a relationship with that person. Yeah, God, everything you're saying is so true. And I really do, being married 20 years, I think a lot about evolutions of relationships and how they start off with like this super freaking intense emotion, you know, the, the intoxication of that like desire. And then down the line, things happen in your relationship, reality, you know, your life, your day to day, you just said the average Tuesday, all of that then something happens over time. And it is heartbreaking that this is a phrase that my husband said to me once and it stuck with me. You never divorce the same person you marry. Hmm. And we actually use that in business with employees. It's like you never end up, the person that leaves the company is never the person that you actually originally hired. Because over this period of time, things have happened that have either brought you closer together or pushed you further apart. And in a lot of marriages, I've had so many therapists on my, in the chair that have said the amount of people that came to me saying I knew this marriage was over three years ago when they did X, Y, and Z, but they stayed. And so I think about the chasm between where you start, where you know it's actually over and it's not good for you, and then the point where you still spend time with them that it now becomes so freaking toxic that you end up thinking, like you said, this person is evil. You know, for me, I think I would have that chip on my shoulder. You get those scars, you get those upsets, those heartbreaks over the time. And then towards the end, I totally agree. It's not freaking healthy to just dismiss someone as evil. I think that is that can be crippling with inside you and dark. But it, it is very easy to do that because you've got those scars, because you've got those burns. So how do you actually advise someone in that relationship to not carry that with them. While I agree with the logic, I, I think there's there's an interesting inverse to what Tom says about you, you never divorce the person you marry. In one sense, that's true because people change over time. And the key to a great marriage, I think one of them at least is that you find a way to grow in a synergistic way mm -hmm. as opposed to growing apart. And, and by the way, that's one of the keys to, if there's someone that has broken your heart from two years ago that you're still in your mind, you can't let go of, Tom's logic there is actually one of the recipes for overcoming heartbreak, mm -hmm. is that the person you were with two years ago, no longer exists in the same form. You are pining after a ghost right now, because in these last two years, they have grown and so have you, which is why so many people who get a shot at someone that they were with years ago, find the deflating reality that, wow, we're, it's, it's something is different. Hmm. Almost like there's a different the smell that attracted you to each other has changed somehow. And you can't, that, you can't quite grab on 
to that thing that you felt before. It feels odd. Mm -hmm. It's it's like they're there, they look the same, and it's the person, but somehow it doesn't, it's not registering as the thing from before. And that's because people shift and they change. So you can console yourself with the notion that the thing that you think should be yours may not even exist anymore anyway. Mm. They have changed, you have changed. But it's also true in a marriage or in any relationship that ends that sometimes the things that end it are the things you ignored early on. And, and that's true a lot of the time. A lot of the time relationships end the way they began just with you paying more attention. Because here's the thing, in this situation, I really think that and why I say that like they're not necessarily the same person is I think that when people have had that bad relationship where they've had this intoxication, this beauty, this heart flutter, oh my God, you know, we're connected, we're honest, we have the communication and then over time that changes. And then all of a sudden this vulnerability that you were showing them, now they're using it as a weapon and they never used to. And what I think about when I went from one relationship to another is, oh my God, how did I miss all that? How did I miss that this person could use this against me? And so now you bring it into the new relationship. But really what it is, it's not that you missed it, and I love what you said, is maybe you've turned a blind eye to this type of personality, mm-hmm. or what has happened in your relationship to the point where you feel like you've blinked and they've changed. And that's where I go to the compatibility of people, right? The compatibility of when you first meet someone, you think that you're very compatible, you're talking about your vulnerabilities, they receive Mm -hmm. them in the way that you really want. And then five, 10 years down the line, you look at them and you're complete strangers. You don't know who that person is. You thought you had the attraction, you thought you had the compatibility, but now you don't. And now they don't even talk to you or treat you the same. Yeah, communication, throughout is one of those things that has to be fostered. The moment we start ignoring things, the moment we start going, I'll just hope that goes away. That's when we set the timer on something later down the line that that feels all of a sudden like someone is unrecognizable or they've, we've become different people and we didn't even know it. We may have suspected it, but we ignored certain conversations. We both made a pact without telling each other, without ever labeling it so. We kind of had an unspoken agreement that we're not going to talk about this thing that maybe we both feel, this distance that we both feel, this thing that you're doing right now that I don't like, or vice versa. We're not addressing it. And one of the reasons that we get so mad at other people is that oftentimes we saw things that we should have paid attention to. We ignored them or we chose not to act on them and time got away from us. And then one day we realized that those things that we ignored didn't go away because things that are ignored don't go away. If in a company, an employee does something that you don't like, it's kind of, if you own a coffee shop and you see one of the baristas be dismissive towards a customer, 
and not be all that polite or warm. It's an awkward thing to, to take them aside that day and say, hey, I want to just talk to you about something I saw today. There was a moment with a customer. I want our people to handle those moments in a different way than I saw you handle it. What I didn't like about it was mm -hmm. da da da. And can we fix that? Because I want to have a culture in this coffee shop of warmth and kindness and people not just enjoying the coffee, but enjoying the experience of talking to people here and being in this space. It's never easy. You can get, you can build the muscle of getting better at it and the best leaders do. So those conversations aren't as hard for them because they actually build the muscle mm -hmm. of having those difficult conversations. But it's very easy to get out of the habit of having those difficult conversations because it's always easier not to. Right. It's always easier to make excuses and go, no, oh, maybe they're having a bad day. And oh, I've got so much on my plate anyway today that I don't know if I'm going to get around to talking to them. And I never found the right moment. And now it's tomorrow. So it feels like the moment's passed and it's going to be weird if I bring up something from yesterday. Oh, now a week's passed. It's going to be really weird if I say there was something I saw last week that I didn't like. So, oh, one more thing I want to add. They're like, but they're so good at this. Right. So they make like, the best coffee. Yeah. They're the best barista we have. They make the best. You know, it's mm. it's it's always easier not to. But you can set your watch to a month from now, six months from now, when you're gonna be in that space again that you own, and you're gonna watch an interaction, and this time, by the way, when you see that person being rude to a customer, it's gonna make your blood boil. Mm. Now you're angry. Now, who's the first person you get angry at? It's not yourself. Them. The first person you get angry at is them. You like, I cannot believe what I just saw. And you think now it just brings up these moments where you've seen that behavior in the past. And so now when you have a conversation with them, you want to take it out on them. You may not even do it at that point, by the way. If you're not used to having those kinds of conversations, what you do is you go to other friends of yours who own businesses or you go to just people in your life and you go, you'll never guess what so-and-so did today. I really have a problem with what they're doing. And you make yourself even more mad. Mm -hmm but you're never having the conversation. And what you're hoping is that this thing that you saw will get better and that you won't have to have the conversation again. But staff don't work like that. Relationships don't work like that. Culture doesn't work like that. In, a, in, a, in any business, there's a culture. Yeah. You know that if the people are rude in that coffee shop, there's something that's gone wrong with the culture. Someone is not addressing the culture. And in a relationship, if certain things are happening, something's happened in the culture of that relationship. And it takes a level of bravery and a standard standard plus bravery to go and have a conversation that has the potential to either highlight what's going wrong and the fact that there is 
oh, there's a problem here. There's something that needs fixing. And make it better and actually begin the process to improvement or highlight that we're even further apart than we thought because now that I've brought this up to my employee in the coffee shop, they've gotten worse. Right. So now I realize it's not actually the case that this is a misunderstanding or this is just someone who's not been paying attention that we have a higher standard here and I'm now telling you what that standard is and you've risen to the occasion. So now I know, wow, this is an employee for life. <laughs> this is someone that I'm going to grow with. This is person as we franchise out, this person's going to become a leader in the organization because they can respond to feedback. They can grow. When I reinforce the culture, they get better. No, if instead they start doubling down on their bad moods, on their rudeness, they, their ego can't hear it, they just, their ego takes over and starts rebelling. And now I know we have a bigger problem here. Mm -hmm. And people don't learn those things in romantic relationships for a long time because they never, they don't treat their relationship like it has a culture that needs to be uh, visited on a consistent basis, even in positive ways, not just in negative ways, in positive ways. I really love when you did that. That meant so much to me when you said that to me. But you know, when we had that conversation the other day, it meant a lot to me and here's why. And what I'm saying to you there in those moments, I'm not just coming to you to reinforce or to, to, to speak about the negative. I'm also saying, hey, just so you know, that thing you did was really good for the culture of our relationship. You may have done it by accident, right. but I want you to know to do it on purpose because it, it helped our relationship. So you, we all have to treat our relationship like it has a culture because it does. Just because there's two people, it doesn't mean it doesn't have a culture. It has a culture. Where we get so mad and vilify other people, so, look, sometimes in life, I'm not discounting, sometimes we get so blindsided by someone. So someone is such a good pretender that we truly get caught off guard by something. But much of the time, we get so angry and we direct it at them and they're evil. But what it's harder to confront is why did I not bring this up when I saw things I didn't like? Why did I ignore certain things? And it's a really difficult place to go to. And I don't think it's the natural place for any of us to go to first. I think it's, it, we almost, if you went to a therapist about a situation in a relationship where someone had wronged you, I don't think any therapist would be doing their job if they started by saying, well, you saw this really early on <laughs> yeah. and you ignored it. So let's talk about you. Mm. I, that, mm. the, you're not going to get anywhere with someone there because the, at first what we need is someone to, to be sensitive to the fact that this isn't our fault. Something has happened. We have been wronged. Someone may have done something that was wrong. And in that sense, we are a victim to someone else's actions. Mm. But at a certain point in our journey, we have to also realize that, that we've been a victim of ourselves. And that doesn't mean we should hate ourselves. And that's the scary part, mm. is that when we've allowed something for a long time in a relationship, we, and, and we then come to terms with the fact that we should have left sooner or could have left sooner, but I would argue we couldn't because if you could have, you would have. But we feel like we should have left sooner and we wasted so much time and then comes the regret. 
then comes the self-hatred. Mm -hmm. My hatred towards you turns inwards. And now I hate myself for why didn't I leave? Um, and what we have to pay particular attention to is I've, I'm, I've been a victim of me. And I need compassion for that. Mm. I deserve compassion for that because me is a complex person. Me is someone who has demons, has problems. They had demons that wronged me, but I had demons that allowed that to happen. I didn't think I was good enough. I was too scared to be alone. I was modeling something I'd seen from my past trauma that felt comfortable to me, even if it didn't make me happy. It felt like mum and dad, or it felt like my early model of a relationship. So I was modeling something that wasn't designed to make me happy. It was just within my comfort zone. You know, I have my trauma, my demons. I am as, I'm a, a victim to those things. But what I can do in the next relationship is I can understand that last time around, I was a victim to those things, those, that decision-making that mm -hmm. I did last time around. And I don't have to be a victim to that this time around. I can trust myself more this time around than maybe I would have then. Because a lot of women I deal with struggle in the next relationship, not just because they may frame it as I don't trust other people based on what's happened to me. But, but when we trust ourselves, when we trust our own strength, when we trust our ability to pay attention and to act accordingly if someone isn't making us happy, regardless of how strong we feel for somebody, we don't fear the things they do as much. Mm. We, suddenly needing to trust is actually not as important. I hope that the people close to me won't wrong me, but I don't need to spend my life obsessing over whether I trust them if I believe in my own strength, if I believe that I'll be okay if it goes wrong. And, and, and that's the part that we get really scared of is I'm, we come to believe that we're brittle and that if it goes wrong again, we'll break. Mm -hmm. Or if I develop feelings for someone and they start doing things wrong, I don't trust myself to leave. So I just don't want to get close to anyone because I know what happens to me when I get close to someone. When I get close to someone, I start ignoring the bad things and I wind up in exactly the same situation. So I just, I won't even let myself get close to it. That's actually at that point, not about not trusting somebody else. It's about not trusting ourselves. And so the game becomes, I need to have trust in myself by building up my own strength. And it's why I've developed programs and it's why I made a retreat that I take people on to build, to build the strength they have internally, not so that they can trust other people more, right. but so that they can trust themselves more and know that they'll always be okay. They'll always be able to return to a place of inner peace and happiness and strength, no matter what happens. And ironically, that then becomes the most attractive part about them is that they're not living constantly in an anxious, stressed place of, are you going to do something? Are you going to... They, right. they can actually say, no, I, 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 I know that if I'm in the ring, I might get hit. That's like a possibility in love. It's a possibility in business. It's a po I'm in the ring. I might, get, I might get hit. 
But if I know that I'm bulletproof, then I don't need to worry about stepping into the ring. Here's something that I want to actually throw with what you're saying. It's so beautiful, but Tom absolutely can um, do things that will break me into smithereens that I know I will never recover from. If he, so I've given him two, two things that I will never stay. He cheats on me or he hits me. I'm out the door. There's no discussion. There's no explanation. There's no time to like add, debate. I'm packed and out the door before he even has a chance to say anything. And I know that that could potentially break me for the rest of my life. Hmm. But it's worth it. Because what I have with him, the trust, the comfort, the security that I feel right now is worth it, knowing that he still can absolutely break me. And when I think of the alternative to be in a relationship where I can't fully give myself over, mm. I, don't un I don't know for myself, and this is purely, I'm just talking about myself, I don't feel like I can properly properly bond with that person and give myself over to them. And I think that in a relationship, it is a beautiful thing to do, to be able to give yourself over to someone and give them, and again, I'm talking from someone that has never had the extreme abuse or you know been cheated on. But there is power for me and my relationship for Tom to give over to me and for me to give over to him. Yes. And look, in boxing, you, you learn you can't throw a punch without exposing yourself to a punch. Yeah. It's not possible. You could sit and defend the whole time. Meanwhile, you'll still end up getting hit somewhere defending. Mm -hmm. but, but if you want to throw a punch, the moment my, my, my fist leaves the side of my head, I'm exposed. Mm -hmm. In life, you can't make an impact without being vulnerable, without making yourself vulnerable. Mm -hmm. I can't release a YouTube video without risking someone complaining about something I've said, someone disagreeing with something I said, someone finding fault, someone ascribing the worst possible intentions to something I've said. I can't, if I want to throw a punch, and in this case it's release a piece of content that I'm proud of, that I think is gonna help people. I can't do that without risking, without opening myself up. So at that point, we have to say, part of the recipe for getting back into a relationship after having been hurt, is to simply ask yourself, what's the alternative? Mm. Yeah. If you ask yourself, is it possible that in this next relationship, someone's not gonna cheat on me. Well, your brain might go, they're definitely gonna cheat because everyone you've ever been with has always cheated on you. Right. But if you say, well, what's the alternative to me putting myself in another relationship? It was, well, I guess, never literally let a part of me die is what it equates to. I'm not going to flirt with anyone again. I'm not going to let anything get, anyone get close. I'm not going to express this part of me that is essential to my being. I, I have to amputate a part of my, my personality and my needs that are essential to my being. Well, that seems to me like too high of a price to pay to avoid some pain. Mm. 
so which is would possible. You, so would you say what type of what what relationship do I want to be in? What are the necessary things well, for this? Well, I would I, I would say, what's in the same way that I make a video. I know that there are times where I've made a video, and there's a response that is a really ungenerous interpretation of something I've said, and I'm just like, screw this. Mm. I, there's an ego part of me that's just like, I don't need to do this. Like, why am I doing this? Mm. I don't want to, you know, like, and it, immediately I want to shut down and I want to be like, I, I'm done, I'm done making videos. How many times have you had people say, I'm done with relationships? Correct, yeah. it's the same thing. Yeah. But then you have to say, what's the alternative? Yeah. So, the first step in putting yourself back out there in your love life is to just believe that it's necessary because the alternative is too high of a price to pay. Now you'll notice that that doesn't need you, that doesn't require you to believe that something else is even possible. It doesn't require you to change your whole beliefs about what's possible in your love life to lose all of your trauma and all of those parts of you that are like, everyone's going to do this to me, this is always going to be... You don't even have to deal with that yet because all you need to deal with is the part of you that wants to shut down. Reason with that part of yourself and say, let's run this experiment. Is, this is the alternative really a life we want? Mm -hmm. Or is it too high of a price to pay? And it's really easy to say, I'm, gonna, I'm done with dating, right? Okay, fine. After a year, two years, three years, four years, you start to realize that I am missing something fundamental in my life by not engaging in this part of life. The second step is once you believe, okay, it, fine, you got me, it's necessary. I can't just turn this part of me off. I have to still, somehow this is a game I have to play. I have to be in it because it's essential to my being. We have the power to make someone else very, very happy on our best day, when we bring our full, the full energy of our love to the table. We have the power to make someone else very happy. We also have the power to walk away if we realize that while we're willing to give all of that, somebody else isn't. Well, if that happens, I'll adjust course. But to say to ourselves, this light that I have, that has the potential to do so much good, that has the potential to make someone else so happy, I am going to simply shut down or shut in a box and put away because I'm afraid that someone could hurt me. That is to base our entire lives on our own ego and my perceived fragility. I can't take it. But what about what you have to give? What about what you can actually do for somebody else? And how do you unwire those beliefs though? Because if you've got the belief and you've been in different relationships and they've all ended very badly, let's say, you have the belief that either all men are bad or all women are bad, um, or the belief that I'm no good and I shouldn't be in a relationship in the first place. Is there a way then to dismantle the belief as you build a new one? The, the greatest weapon that you have against existing beliefs and it's an unsung hero. It will make its entrance quietly. It won't even disturb your existing beliefs. You can, your existing beliefs can feel secure in themselves and you could just Trojan horse this little thing in that starts to mess it all up. And that's curiosity. 
Curiosity, for me, is one of the most powerful words in the English language. I don't, I don't need to believe that something, that what I want is possible. I just need to get curious about, well, what happens if I do this instead of this? You know, one of my negative patterns, it still can rear its head if I'm not careful. I have to keep an eye on it. But one of my negative patterns is, or was, to, in an argument with my partner, it would be to get scared because it would trigger something old. Have an argument and it would trigger this old baggage of this is, I'd feel anxious mm. and I'd be like, this is going to end. Because of past experiences yeah. that you've had. Yeah, past experiences or maybe childhood stuff. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Like it could be a whole cocktail of things. But it's for whatever reason, an argument might trigger in me this immediate fight or flight response. Mm -hmm. Now, in a relationship, fight or flight, <laughs> neither one is neither great. Was <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> so, and, it, and by the way, there's different, there's fight, flight, freeze, faint. Right? None of those are good in a relationship. None of them serve you well when it comes to the inner workings of a romantic relationship. <laughs> yeah. But if you think about those, you know, I would either fight and I'd say something really negative or something that would be, that I would later regret. Mm -hmm. Or I would, or flight, which can come in the form of freeze, right? You, you don't have to physically go for flight if you, you can do flight just by staying in the same bed as someone, but rolling over and turning your back <laughs> to them and, and going quiet. And those would be my two responses. Now, part of that was the belief that if, you know, this means danger, and if it means danger, I need to protect myself. Well, what are the two ways I protect myself? Fight? So either go on offense as a form of defense mm -hmm. or flight. I'm going to distance myself so that you can no longer, this anxiety that I'm feeling can't exist if we don't have such a strong connection. Mm. So I'm going to try and sever the connection so that I can't feel this level of anxiety. Curiosity, how does that feel? make its entrance into that equation where I'm so certain of every, I'm so, my anxiety is so certain that this means danger. And I'm so certain about what the right thing to do is it. Okay. Curiosity says, I am going to try something different against all of my instincts. I am going to say, I feel scared right now. And I want to talk to you about what we're talking mm -hmm. about, but right now my brain is shutting down because it's just going to a place of, of fear and anxiety. I, I don't know if I'm thinking straight right now. When you say that, what it's making me feel is this, and I don't know if that's really valid, but what I do know is sometimes when we have conversations like this, I feel myself shutting down because I feel myself getting scared. Now, who knows what will happen? With the wrong partner, 
I will get a different result, but it might be another bad result. But it will be different. And curiosity is great because it doesn't need to feel like it, it doesn't it doesn't need to win. Right. Curiosity mm. is just, oh, that got a different result. Still not a great result, but it got a different result. That's interesting. Yeah. But and maybe now that becomes a flag that you wish you saw in the last relationship earlier on. Well, exactly, because if I get vulnerable and I get a bad response to my vulnerability, mm -hmm. then I'm learning. I'm actually learning something new. Yeah. In the right relationship, if I get vulnerable like that, and then my partner says, "Oh my God!" Well, firstly, you're safe. The fact that we're talking about this, the fact that we're having this argument in no way threatens us. We are solid. I want us to deal with this because it's important. But you and me are solid. So you don't have to, you don't have to worry about that. We're not brittle. This isn't going anywhere. So then I go, okay, what were you saying? What was the thing you were mad about? Okay, let me talk, let's talk about that. Now, what got me to it? Now, what happens is I get a reference point. Whoa, I didn't do fight. I didn't do flight. I did this other thing. And I got a different response. So my curiosity has now created a new reference point for a different belief mm -hmm. that, oh, I can be vulnerable and be safe. And not only that, but it even made my relationship stronger because she knows me better. And also I know her better because I know what she does when I get vulnerable. So hmm. this becomes suddenly this very, very powerful healing moment in a relationship. Not because I believed something different, but because I was curious about almost being a, an experimenter. A scientist, you know, it's... It doesn't have to be good or bad. It's just, what's the result? What's the result when I do this thing? And if it's a good result, that curiosity has led me somewhere powerful. Even if it's a bad result, what did I really lose? I just got curious about what happens if I do things differently. If a woman is f afraid because she feels like guys are only there to, they're only messing her around. In, in dating today, guys just only want one thing. They mess me around, they don't try, they don't take me on real dates, they want sex or sexuality far too quickly. And so that's made me shut down. You know, I now shut down when I'm talking to someone new because I'm just worried that the moment I start to open up, they're gonna try and take it to a sexual place and then that's gonna, well, well, normally what I do is shut down and assume all guys are a certain way. Or in the past, I've run headfirst into something and really gotten myself hurt because I didn't communicate. Well, let me just get curious. I don't even need to believe that men can be good. I don't need to believe that. I just have to have some fun being curious. <laughs> well, what, what would happen if the next time a guy tried to get sexual a, a little more quickly than I would like? What if I actually pointed out to him that I really like him and I find him really attractive and I am a very, I'm a sexual person, you know, all of that sounds fun at some point, but right now I really want to get to know him better. Right now I really want to understand who he is more. Right now I, I kind of want to see what this could be first if there's a, if there's a, a deeper kind of connection. Because, you know, that kind of fun on its own is just not 
the phase of life I'm in. I'm up for that kind of fun with everything else. But that on its own is, is not something I'm looking for. What would happen if I was honest with that kind of compassion and charm and openness? What would happen? Maybe I don't know, because maybe I never do it. So instead of assuming how all of life is, why don't I just experiment? Why don't I get curious? Because all of life isn't the way that you or I have experienced it. It's one of the reasons why I'm like, I get so fucked up in my job because I'm not necessarily right. I have my experience and what I've been through and I piece it together with the mosaic of so many people I've worked with over time and that's created some general truths that I find really valuable. I think it's, I've been able to create and define some first principle thinking on which people can layer whatever specific ways of doing things they want. But the first principles are, are really important. I think I've arrived at a lot of really powerful first principles in my career. But we're still working from what we know and, and we know that what we know is so limited. For anyone who's been cheated on a lot or been abused or been in difficult relationships or struggled to meet someone or struggled to find anyone who wants something serious, what they have to be honest about is that their collection of experiences still represents a tiny mm. fraction of the available experiences in life. And that there are people who get wildly different experiences than what they're getting because they do things differently. And we'll never know in our little world of how we do things, we'll never truly know how many different experiences in life are actually available if we do things differently. We have just, our programming, our trauma, our childhood, everything we've been through has set us up to do a certain thing that keeps getting a result that now feels like universally that's what life or people must be like. But we're on this very specific set of train tracks that keeps ending up in the same destination and we just don't realize how how programmed we are to kind of do a certain thing over and over and over again you hate parties until you go to a party with your friends and there's music you like and all of a sudden you're like oh, <laughs> parties can be fun you know you you learn oh there's so many different this is what everyone's been talking about when they're having a good time doing this thing if i can maybe add one more thing on top of curiosity, one of the things that can really help us through, hmm, through our own trauma, through the things that we've been through, through our own scars or wounds, if we don't want to call them trauma, is humility. Mm. Humility that all of us have gotten to a certain point of our, of, in our lives where we look back on something we were so sure of and have thought, whoa, not only was I so sure of that, I was so deeply, deeply misguided. I was so wrong. It may even be that the direct opposite is true of what I believed.
or, or I've come to believe that the direct opposite is true. And, and we get humbled in those moments. And we would do well to remember those moments when we have convinced ourselves that life is a certain way. No one can be trusted. Everyone's going to do this to me. This is always going to be my experience. I'm never going to meet someone because I haven't, I've been single for 10 years now and I haven't met anybody in that time. We would do well to introduce alongside that curiosity to, to add a dash of humility into that cocktail because we have been here before in this place of certainty and we have been just as wrong as we might prove to be about what we believe today. Oh, I literally didn't want to stop you. That was so freaking fire. I'm such a person that's like, well, belief is all that matters. You've literally just completely debunked my thinking and I love the curiosity. Like, that's the thing. That's what I really wanted to dig into today is like, what are the things that we can do so we don't get trapped, that we don't get stuck, that we don't see something and misinterpret and then never trust ourselves again. Um, so curiosity and humility over belief, that's so incredible. So when someone wants to improve their life, they know I want a new relationship, I have the curiosity now, I believe they can go to your website and do a little quiz to then find out what types of content they need. So if you don't mind explaining it, because I think it's genius. Yeah, I, so one of the exciting projects that in my team we've had going on this year is we just redesigned the entire howtogettheguy.com website and it's beautiful and it's fun to use and navigate and um, we developed a tool on the homepage of the site where you can literally input what your dating issue is right now or what you're struggling with in your love life and this tool will figure out what's the piece of my content or which program mm. have I created that is going to be directly relevant to what you're going through in your love life right now. And it's super easy. It's like a three-step process. But people can go and find that at howtogettheguide.com. And is that where you want everyone to go to follow you and find out more? Or I, You know, I'm on all the normal places that you can find someone like me or you. Uh, but I think that rather than going to Instagram or Facebook and watching some random piece of content from me, going to the website and actually telling it what you're dealing with right now and then having us tell you what the best thing is for you, I think is much more powerful and targeted. Mm -hmm. We have enough information. I think we need, we need something that's really gonna hone in on what we need personally right now. Amazing. Guys, 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 it's his full time here. I'm going to have him back on again. You know I am. Drop in the comments what you want him to talk about next time because you know he's going to come back when he's got his book out. Um, but until next time, if you're not following me, follow me at Lisa Billu. And if you're not subscribed, guys, click that subscribe button. And until next time, be the hero of your own life. Peace out. <laughs>